Good morning, everyone. This bleak morning, I think, <laughs> was the catchphrase. We won. Well, first Sunday of the new year. It's been really good over the last uh, couple of weeks or so just to celebrate again the coming of Jesus and what that how that's changed the world, how it's brought hope and light and uh, goodness um, throughout globally. Um, so that's been really good. And of course, we've come to the new year. And uh, it's at this time um, of the year that churches sort of very quickly get their act together and they sort of try and um, give a sort of a vision to the future. I mean, my children's bedrooms have got uh, different cards over the years going back to 1980, 1990, the text for the year. And of course, they brought them, they're still hanging there down, they're still blessing, blessing us as we got them hanging, hanging there, you know, uh, talking about the favour of God and, uh, and the goodness of God and, uh, and uh, that would actually instill some sort of vision and hope for the coming days, the coming weeks, and the coming years. And we need that. We need that. We need focus. We need a point to look at. And uh, as, as Beacon community, we need that. We need that here today. In this bleak world, we need something to look outside of that bleakness and to gr something to grasp hold on, something to grab, and the Bible's full of it. Something that we can take hold of and look forward to. If you're interested in the Chinese New Year, it's the Year of the Dragon. Well, I don't know what hope and vision that gives one particularly. It doesn't particularly come from the Bible, although the dragons are mentioned in the Bible. Um, but it's the year of the dragon. So I had a quick look on, on, on the old line yesterday and uh, the, the Federation of Independent Evangelical Churches have posted on, on their thing, realising expectations. Realising expectation. What is your expectation? What is my expectation? Have we even got an expectation? I mean, if you constantly listen to the BBC, you won't have any expectations, whatever. Only bad news, isn't it? Expectations. Some other um, group or church said it's the year of the door. It's the year of the door. What does that mean? Well, we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus also said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he can be saved. So... Jesus is, 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 is a door. It could be the year of the door. And there are many, many other things out there sort of trying to instill expectation for the new year and the things which are ahead. Right, I'll tell you where I'm going. Um, I'm going to read quite a bit of narrative this morning um, of, with the context within the Old Testament, and uh, I hope you'll be able to run with me with that. I mean, historical things don't immediately inspire me. Um, when I was at school, um, my history teacher didn't like me whatsoever. 
Not for anything historical, but because I wouldn't use the top line of my page. I used to like start the next one down. And it was in lots of times it was written in my history book, use top line. How inspiring can that be? Well, knowing my rebellious nature, I never did use the top line. <laughs> I continued to start the next line down uh, because history didn't inspire me. I know history really inspires people, but um, we can't avoid history, and especially today on our news is the name Israel. The fighting and um, the upset in that nation, but... We have to see it. We have to know that historically something's going on. And there are good men in the history of the nation of Israel that inspire us and can give us inspiration this morning. Now, where I'm going is this. I believe uh, God wants Beacon, and I'll explain this in a minute, to be doubly fruitful. Doubly. The word God gave me for today was fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Was it God who said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth? It's something that's on God's heart. Be fruitful and multiply. That's what God said to Adam and Eve. Uh, then there was a man named Joseph. Um, I know some people don't know fully all the details about these characters, but I'll try and explain a little bit. Joseph was a, he was an Israelite. He was a Abrahamic man, you know. He was in the cause of God's purpose and plans, and he's a type of the Lord Jesus in many ways. We can see characteristics in the life of Joseph, also in the life of Jesus. But he was a man who ended up in Egypt, and he was tempted with sex and stuff like that, but he avoided that, um, and he put him in prison, and his life was a problem. He ended up eventually having prophetic words from God, and he caused the land of Egypt to be fruitful and go through difficult times. He was a key man in a key place at a key time. That's Joseph. Later when Joseph was, uh, later on Joseph married an Egyptian wife. Um, he lost the, attempt, the Egyptian temptress, but now he got an Egyptian wife, Asenath, and uh, he had two children by her. One was Ephraim and one was Manasseh. And uh, it is said of Joseph, he, this is Joseph's own testimony. He said, in the land of my suffering, God has made me fruitful. Now, we so like to avoid hard times and difficult times in situations, but it's in hard times God makes us fruitful. He makes us fruitful. I'm going to explain something about fruit just a little bit later on. We also read of Joseph um, that he became a fruitful bough which hung over the wall. Okay? So there was fruit in the immediate, but there's also fruit the other side of the wall. Yeah? 
We don't know fully what that means, but there's a two-pronged sort of meaning in that statement. Joseph is a fruitful bough that hung over the wall. So it means that from other situations and other dimensions in life, other people can be fruitful. So you can see that um, that could mean, it could mean that Joseph was fruitful in his own life, but he was also fruitful in Egypt, and he caused the Egyptians to be blessed. Joseph also was fruitful in his life, but he blessed his family. He was, in a sense, doubly fruitful. So then, it all comes together when he starts to name his two children. One was named Ephraim, and the other was named Manasseh. Now, Ephraim means doubly fruitful. So, in a sense, he wants to name his, his child in a way that honours God. He said, I will call him Ephraim because God has made me doubly fruitful. Not just fruitful. This is the more we ask about when we say that God gives us more than we ask or think. Yeah? Doubly fruitful. Things take on a new dimension when we serve God and we honour God and we, we trust that that's how the church is going to be. And there's two prongs I want to take with this this morning. First of all, that God wants us as individuals to be doubly fruitful and he also wants us as a church to be doubly fruitful. Not just fruitful. This is the more that God wants us. He will give us more than we ask or think. So, first of all, I'm just going to a little look at a couple of guys other than Joseph uh, in the Bible, and I'm going to read the narrative from the message. And um, if you, if you want to um, get a little bit of understanding about people and places and history, the, the message has some very good introductions to the books of the Bible. And I'm going to read one of them. So even the, what's going on in Israel today has a history, and it's a meaningful history, and it, in a sense it's relevant to us today. Because whilst we see all the bad things, the horrible things going in, there's also some very real pertinent lessons we can, lose, we can learn from Israel's history. And uh, I've already mentioned Joseph. I'm just going to mention quickly these two um, because uh, Israel was, is bad today and we see all what's going on, but they went through an awful time because, because they didn't relate to God and they forgot his goodness and they, they didn't follow his ways. God exiled them and took them out of their land and, and, and um, these armies overthrow them and took them and carried them off. And one of these, one of the, uh, two of these guys was a guy named Ezra, and another one was named Nehemiah. And these two, if any two people, we could learn something from about building church, restoring the church, honoring God, being fruitful. These are the guys to look at. So let me just get us into the narrative a little bit, uh, and that's why I'm using the message. Uh, because it is really helpful in getting the narrative if, if you don't like history like me. But um, this is what it says about the book, both the book and the man named Ezra. History had not treated the people of Israel well, and they were in decline. 
A superpower military machine, Babylon, had battered them and then, leaving their city and temple a mound of rubble, hauled them off into exile. Now, 128 years later, a few Jews back in Jerusalem had been trying to put the pieces back together decade after decade, but it was not going well at all. They were hanging on by their fingernails, and then Ezra arrived. This is an extreme case of a familiar story repeated with variations in most centuries and in most places in the world. Men and women who find their basic identity in God, as God reveals himself in Israel and the Messiah Jesus, don't find an easy time of it. They never have. They never will. Their identity is under constant challenge and threat. Realize that? Their identity is under constant challenge and threat. Same for the church today. Sometimes by hostile assault, and at other times by subtle and smiling seductions of the enemy. Whether by assault or seduction, the people of God have come perilously close to obliteration several times. We are never out of danger. Because of Ezra, Israel made it through. God didn't leave Ezra to do this single-handedly. He gave him substantial and critical help in the rescue operation in the person of Nehemiah, whose work providentially converged with his. Important details of the Ezra story are in the memoirs of Nehemiah, which is the book which follows after this one. The people of God identity was recovered and preserved. Ezra used worship and the word, or the Bible, or what God had said written down. Ezra used these to do it. Ezra engaged them in the worship of God, the most all-absorbing, comprehensive act which men and women can engage, which we've engaged in this morning. And Ezra led them into an obedient, listening to the text of the Bible, listening and following God's revelation are the primary ways in which we keep attentively obedient to the living presence of God among us. Ezra made his mark. Worship and word continue to be foundational for the recovering and maintaining identity as the people of God. The church today are the people of God. Those who've trusted in Jesus as saviour become the people of God, the true people of God. We're all people of God in a sense because we're humans, but God chooses out of the world, out of the situation, people who trust in Jesus to become the people with the true identity of the people of God, an identity which we read which is constantly under threat. Moving on to the man Nehemiah, he was serving in, in, in the palace of the king, and he was cupbearer to the king. And uh, he'd heard the news that this Israel at this time was really in a bad state. Now, some of the Jews had gone back to Jerusalem, and they put, they'd rebuilt the temple, put it down the foundations, and made it all beautiful again so that they could worship God. The temple was their identity. 
Now, as a church, this building's not identity, and I don't think it needs much explanation to say that it isn't. It's the people are his identity. The temple was his identity then. It was their identity. It could have been Jerusalem, a geographical location, or it could have been Zion, full of celebration and full of spiritual power. It could have been, but it had not become that. But now that Ezra had caused the temple to be rebuilt and its purpose and place in the community and society was now. It was there. And so the people were getting challenged. And Nehemiah heard about this. And he was cupbearer and the responsible job. He had to taste the food and the wine so that the king didn't die of poison and stuff like that. But he was moved. So we're looking at leadership. For double fruitfulness, we're looking at the importance of leadership in the church. Later on, there's going to be opportunity for you to pray for the leadership of Beacon. Because if you look throughout the Bible, the whole place, the church needs leaders. It can't exist just bumping along on the bottom. Not only does it need leaders, it needs those who are going to honour the word of God, as Ezra did. And constantly refer to that, what God has said in his word. That's the foundational thing. But something else Nehemiah, this guy Nehemiah tells us, he was a man of passion. Because immediately he heard about the shameful situation back in his place he'd never been to. Eh? His body was in Persia and his heart was in Jerusalem. In a place he'd never been to. You know, it's a place we've never been to. But our heart needs to be there and that's heaven. Similar sort of things we can pick up on. But um, anyway, he was a man of passion. He was a man of prayer. And the first answer to his prayer didn't come until four months later. But God answered his prayer. And eventually, um, he was sad in the presence of the king. And the king said, you're sad today, mate. Why's that? And the king, he sussed it out. And he said, this can only be sadness of heart. Mm. Now, that's a passion that we all need when it comes to the church. There were things that should sadden us. But many times, they don't. There are things that should hurt us, and we don't do anything about it. But wanting to do something about it is a passion. Sometimes we let our lives roll on. We say, oh, that, that's just who I am. No, it isn't. Sometimes it isn't just who you are. We're racked with brokenness, and we need someone to heal us mentally, spiritually, and physically. And Jesus can do that. So Nehemiah knew this. He knew that God's favour was on the people of Israel. And he hung and he grasped onto that. And eventually the story is that he was so driven with a need to lead the people back into the purposes of God that the king let him go and the, God, and the king gave him provisions to get on with his job. Amazing provision. So these two guys, Ezra 
and Nehemiah are telling us one thing without going to all the details, and there's so many of them which are helpful. The church needs godly leadership, and we should pray for it. We should honour it. And if there's problems in the leadership, we should deal with it. We should deal with it as well. Leadership is fundamental to a church being doubly fruitful. Yeah, there are churches that are fruitful, but sometimes the leadership's racked with problems and difficulties. So we need to pray for unity amongst the leadership. And Beacon has three. You need to pray for leadership, you need to pray for compassion, and you need to pray that the leaders will be prayerful and be a praying leadership. So double fruitfulness comes essentially with godly leadership. And if you read the narrative, if you read the story, it will show you how that happens. I'll just give you a flavourite with the first man, Ezra. He said, on the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated Passover. All the priests and Levites had purified themselves, all, no exceptions. They were all ritually clean. The Levites slaughtered the Passover lamb for the exiles, their brother priests and themselves. Then the Israelites, who had returned from the exile, along with everyone who had removed themselves from the defilements of the nations, to join them and seek God, the God of Israel, ate the Passover. This is the bit. With great joy, they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for seven days. And this was the comment. God had plunged them into a sea of joy. Not oblique. He's plunged them into a sea of joy. He had changed the mind of the king of Assyria to back them in rebuilding the temple of God, the God of Israel. Just a little bit of history. So they came from the point of being in shame and difficulty to a place of celebration. This is the God that changes situations. And God can do that for us too. So a similar thing happens with Nehemiah. He goes and they rebuild. He rebuilds not the temple, but the wall. And he puts the gates back in place. Now, Nehemiah refers to David. He refers to Moses. And he refers to Joshua in keeping the historical faith. This is something a church must do. We keep the historical faith. The historical faith for us is that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. We either reject him or accept him as our saviour. And we could be, in accepting him, we become part of the church, which is his glorious bride. And we are his people in whom he places his identity and his favour is upon the church. Sometimes that favour is held back because of difficulties and things that don't honour God. But essentially, we have to remember this, our identity in God is sure and certain. God's favour is upon the church. And we have to move forward with that. There can't be any doubt about it. We need to move forward. So, leadership fuels... Double fruitfulness, if you like. 
real fruitfulness. It's essential. You have to look at it through the Bible. I would ask myself, what happened if Nehemiah didn't get up and go? But he got the people together. He stirred the people up. He reminded them of God's promises. He said, come on, guys, this is worth fighting for. And it's worth you getting involved deeply. It's worth you putting your backs into it and your money. It's worth it. That's how he comes doubly fruitful. So from these guys and the essential leadership, I just want to go from the application of fruit in the personal life, in our personal life. Let's take a few statements from the New Testament. Take the helmet of salvation. In warfare, God has given us things to fight our enemy and to protect our lives spiritually. In Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Believers in Jesus have the Holy Spirit within them, and the Holy Spirit develops within us fruit. It's love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, long-suffering, and things like that. Not all the list I've given you there. But he develops that within us. That's fruit. Then the man who wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he said this, pursue spiritual gifts. Pursue spiritual gifts. Don't just acknowledge that they're there. Chase them. Are you chasing a spiritual gift this morning? He mentions prophecy here as one. This is the ability to actually make truthful, meaningful amongst the people of God and to put it in its place, which is what Ezra did. He was a man who did that. Pursue spiritual gifts. I'll read it to you. Pursue love and earnestly... Oh, in the other version it says eagerly. Here it says earnestly, but I think you get the message. The people of God who have the identity of God should be chasing spiritual gifts. I just throw that out as a challenge. What spiritual gift are you actually chasing Are you seeking it as a gift of God? And Paul said then, especially prophecy. It says about prophecy, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Amazing, isn't it? Fruit? Do you want to say something that blesses someone else? Do I want to say something that blesses someone else? Yeah, that's fruit. Pursue prophecies like that. You see, it develops fruit in the body of Christ. We're going to do 2 Peter, verse 6. We we get a verse like this, and I'm going to just refer to it from the King James Version because it says what I wanted to say. (laughs) That's not why I shouldn't be doing that, really, should I? But it says, add to your faith. Okay, we've got pursue. Now we've got add. Add to your faith... The things, goodness, virtue. I just want to explain something here. Faith is not a virtue. It's a gift. 
Now, some people get confused with fate because they very often, you very often hear this on television, it's my faith that's helped me. No, it's not. It's your trust in Jesus that's helped you. It's your faith that's... Faith is not the virtue. Faith is the vehicle. Faith is the thing that grasps hold of what Jesus has done for you. There's a little bit of a funny thing going on there. And I'll tell you why. Because some people don't like to mention the name of Jesus. They think, oh, well, well, I can't do that. Sometimes they get a bit nervous about it. And they say, withhold using the word of Jesus. But it's not, faith is not the virtue. It says, add to your faith. So faith is a thing that you join things to. Or your faith gives you the ability to pursue those things. The goodness. And one of those things... And I've just selected this out of the text here for us this morning. Apart from humility, uh, kindness and gentleness and patience. Because I think sometimes patience needs more work than anything else. Any other part of the goodness. I wasn't very patient with my dog when we have one. I'm a gardener and parsnips are the light of my life. You wait patiently. Last year I sold two rows, three rows of parsnip, not one of the beggars came up. So I, I forgot about it until I went to my compost bin. And I'd thrown a load of parsnip seeds away from the year before because I saved my own parsnips and um, seeds. And um, I looked in the compost bin and all these little things growing up. And I thought, ah, they're parsnips. Amen. And I know they're very delicate plants to handle, but I took, them, I took them out of there and separated them all up and planted one by one in lots of little pots and they began to grow. And then I transferred them to the row that had the parsnips in before and they all came up peppers. <laughs> That's a good pepper for them, but no parsnips. You need pass patience to grow parsnips. But anyway, patience is hard. But I just want to tell you, patience is a spiritual dynamic. It moves, faith which moves us beyond natural existence into the other realm of our humanity, that is the spiritual. Faith moves us on out of the human to the spiritual. And without Jesus, our spiritual lives have no anchor. You remember the old adage or the old song went, Daisy, daze me, give me your answer do. I'm half crazy over the love of you. We can't afford a carriage, so they get a bicycle that's made for two. But there's a little message in that, isn't there? This man, he desperately wanted the woman to say yes. And God desperately wants us say yes to him because the tandem has a seat for two and it works with two and we need we cannot work without Jesus in our lives patient Christians are quality salt and light. 
Patient parents mostly raise patient children. Patient husbands honor marriage and vice versa. Patient wives honor marriage. Patience is one of the most Jesus-honoring virtues in a Christian's life. I went to our friend uh, Maggie the other day and um, <clears throat> she was resting on the doorpost, breathing heavily. We were bringing her back for lunch and um, so I said, hello, how are you? Oh, oh, she said, oh, she said, you're so patient, she said. And she was relieved. And patience comes to the place, perfect patience is realized when it blesses others. And it's one of the hardest things to have, but it's real salt. And if you want to listen to a good message on salt, I just refer you to Robert Ferguson from Hillsong, Hillsong Church, who had a tremendous servant on salt. If you get a chance, listen to it. It's excellent. How we as Christians too can become, can become salt. And James writing about, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We live in a society which desperately needs wisdom. Churches desperately need wisdom to live lives, to live it properly and to honour God. Discretion in the things we say or things we post on social media is a missing thing. And we need to learn discretion under the terms of wisdom. Okay, so I believe... <coughs> that God wants for us in this year to be doubly fruitful and that's God's word over us be fruitful and multiply and as Jesus said as Jesus said uh, I've forgotten it I'll get it to you later but we shall pray we need to pray for leadership that's what we're going to do this morning and there's three things I just want to just elevate. I want you to encourage those who have laboured years for God. And I'm going to pray, we're going to pray that you will see fruit for your labours. Because the Bible says God does not forget our labour of love. He doesn't forget it. Fred Nara served in CLC for many years. Derek served with the kids in the kids' camp for many years, and John in leadership, and other people, and Steve in leadership. We need to pray, we need to pray for, lead, for fruit. I just want to orange God, you encourage them. So in a minute, uh, when we're worshipping, remember to pray for Iris and Fred and Derek. They will see fruit for their labours. And whoever we are, if we've served, served Jesus you know, with our heart and honoured him to bless him. Our labour is not in vain in the Lord. Neither will God send his word without a fruitless exercise. He said, my word will not come back to me, not having accomplished the purpose for which I sent it. That's our God. Our God. Maybe you want to know that fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit this morning that goes beyond just the fruit of the Spirit, the spiritual gifts. And moving on as a church, let us be fruitful. And it may be said of us 
that we will be fruitful in the land of Herne Bay as we serve him. Thank you.